Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a beautiful Friday morning. The news is crammed pack. I tell you what, if you follow us across the Internet, then you do not want to miss anything today. You want to be watching your smartphone, checking out your Facebook profile, watching your email. I'm telling you, we have got so much that we will be covering before the end of today. Information on longevity and their current numbers will blow you out of the water. Stuff that's been happening across the, 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 the net with different companies. We're going to be covering it. A brand new launch tomorrow by Evolve Health. I tell you, I was on the phone with, with their chief science officer, Dr. Smith. Beautiful what's happening over there. You are going to totally be amazed. We're going to share that. I'm also going to talk about a brand new blog report that questions my credibility and the ethics of some of the greatest men and women that I know in the network marketing profession. And it's interesting how people sometimes will try to point fingers at others. I've done it in the past. But, you know, it's it's sad because usually if you look deep enough, you find that there's somebody that has the agenda, somebody on the backside that says, well, let's do this or let's do that. I've seen it over the years. Sadly, we thought we got out of it in high school. It still happens. And then I look at things that people write, and then I look back at what I've written. And I say, well, Dagum, I wrote all about this a month and a half ago. Why is it that they missed it? And then they want to say, why didn't he report on it? It's so humorous to me. But here's the good news. We were in John Acuff's book, Quitter. Closing the gap between your day job and your dream job. Wow, think about that for a minute. Can you do that? Can you change that gap? Can you make it smaller? We're in Chapter 3. What lies between a day job and a dream job? Why is it that you started out dreaming about what your future would be like? Saying, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to change the world, even if it's just my little part of the world. I'm going to do it. What happened to America? Let's not even let's not even stop there. What happened to the world? There's not a country that has been settled throughout history that it didn't take pioneers. There's not an invention that has not been created that it didn't take somebody with ingenuity, somebody who was willing to take the risk. It blows my freaking mind totally blows my mind and i just don't get that you know it it is the craziest thing and and i don't understand that you know i look at stuff and i wonder why people are doing that it's crazy and it's not there's no reason for us to lose track of where we're going I look and I think, I, I think, why? Why do we stop? Why do we, why do we, we think of fear? Why all of a sudden did we become people of fear? Why aren't we still out there? Not the minority. I'm not talking about minority. I'm talking about the majority. Why all of a sudden is it the minority that are willing to risk? 
I don't get it. I just don't get it. And here's why I don't get it. It's because I know that deep down inside of each and every one of you, deep down inside of me, we really are willing to take the risks. See, I think that's what it's all about. I think that if we can work through some of the crap that the world throws at us, we can get back that pioneering spirit to say it. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Chapter 3. And it's funny because I love the way that John writes. I love the way he talks. I've got him on my iPod. But listen to this. He says, you don't have to be a Scooby-Doo to figure out something was wrong with the house we were trying to buy in Tennessee. The property disclosure statement, a highly legal binding document, indicated there were zero repairs made to the house in the entire time that the owner lived there. We really did want to believe that. We thought the house was charming. The neighborhood was adorable. When it was Halloween, they lit the block. They lit up the block with a big block party at Christmas. They decorated and had contests and official prizes. And when it snows, they held snowman contests. Bluebirds would land on your shoulder when you walked to the mailbox and sing in the summertime. But something was definitely wrong. How did we know? Huh. The owner had handwritten notes on the Sharpie, or was Sharpie in the attic rafters, indicating to the repairman where all the leaks were. But then when we crawled in the crawl space, we found buckets collecting water underneath. We tried to, to think about this as just a mistake, but the final straw was when we found, well, really, it wasn't the final straw. It was 98 final straws, and those were the 98-point home inspection that we received from our home inspector telling us we had issues. <laughs> oh, it's kind of funny. You know, I've I've been there, done that. See, probably the smart thing for John and his lovely bride to do would be to walk away from the house, except his father-in-law is a home builder, his mother-in-law is a home builder, and his wife has a master's in construction management and used to be a real estate agent. So to them, this wasn't some gigantic challenge. wasn't something they couldn't get done, although it did take some money. You know, they just had to weigh out the risk. Which brings us to the point that he's making – Every dream has risk associated to it. Some might have more than others, but each dream comes wrapped in some degree of risk. I love my pappy, but I'm going to tell you something used to piss me off, still pisses me off. You know, to to know it. And you know what? I'm just going to get on my mama's case to you while I'm at it. You know, I'm going to tell you that right now. Here, here is, here, here, I mean, this is, this is, this frustrates me. My dad... Not only does he have this knack with his hands where he can make some of the most dynamic jewelry. I mean, I'm talking about cutting the rocks, the the gems, and making them into just this beautiful piece of jewelry, you know. But he also is one of the greatest photographers I have ever seen. I mean, as a matter of fact, it used to drive us nuts. We would go on vacation. And we never forgot what one of our vacations was like because within days after we're getting back home, he would have all the slides printed up. And then we would sit around for hours without the popcorn because we we didn't have time to pop the popcorn. And we would click through the memories that we had just lived. Now, I'm being a little facetious, but listen to me. I believe my dad could have been one of the most successful photographers in modern history. But he never took the risk 
See, I have seen his work. I've seen it blown up. I've seen it little. I think if he'd have just continued to continue to continue to send in his photography, especially today on the Internet, he would have become a rich man. My mom, I don't want to leave her out. I, this, is, this is big to me because as I read this chapter, I thought of my parents. Totally thought of my parents. And here's, 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 here's why I'm going to get on my mom. And, here's, and this is the big part. The reason I'm going to get on my mom is because my mom can write poetry. Now, she sent her poems in, and she's gotten them published. But I believe that my mom can do more than just be a poet. I have a picture on my wall that she painted, and my wife and I both looked at each other and said, your mom could get this put into the galleries, and she could write. She could paint like you wouldn't believe. And I believe my mom can, because that's how good she is. Totally. But she doesn't take that risk. See, I, and, and I'm not getting on my parents because they don't take risk as much as I'm telling you. It happens to all of us. And there's been plenty of times when my parents say, you're taking too much risk. But you want to know something? There was a time my daddy took risk. I said, Dad, I'm going to take on the government in this little podunk town called Independence, Missouri, and I'm going to write bail. But the only way I can do it is I've got to have somebody that can give me ten grand cash to put up with the state. I'll find the other million dollars or so we need to write on. I'll, I'll, I can build those assets, but I need liquid cash. You know what he did? He went to the dadgum bank. And he borrowed $10,000. It's probably not the smartest investment he ever made. But it was worth it. And I'm thinking when I read through this, every dream has a risk. And I'm thinking, wow. And and it and it, it brings a little bit of a little bit of sadness when I think back of how many risks that I haven't taken, how many risks other people haven't taken, and yet we wonder why we haven't had the success. But but listen to what John says. He says, By accepting my dream job and joining the Dave Ramsey team, gosh, I'd love Dave Ramsey. You talk about a dream job, that would be like heaven on earth. Okay. My salary had decreased. Oh, I didn't read the last part of the sentence. <laughs> Over time, there was a great potential to make great money, but for the first year or so, things were going to be a bit flux. For the first six months, I had a steady salary, but after that, straight commission. And here we are with a leaky roof. We better go out and get our loan right now and lock our loan in while we have a chance. It's like, Wow. It's crazy. And I'm thinking, he he makes some good points here. He He's looking at this in, in a way, and here's what he says. We better lock in this loan and buy this house while we can, because if we wait, we'll never get a loan a good loan. Now think about that for a second. We'll never get a good loan. All of a sudden, the fear factor is taking hold. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I was sitting there today at Harbor Docks thinking, what would I do? 
How would I do it? But listen to what he says. The entire logic of that fear is messed up, but fear is rarely logical, and that is so true. We fear every freaking thing that comes in. Everything. Why do we fear that? What's the purpose? I'll tell you what the purpose is. It's because that's what... It's because that's what we're used to. What happened? I'm serious. What happened to those days when people, they they went for it? I mean, think back here. I don't know if you guys know a gal named Corey Tinboom. She was a, a Jewish gal in World War II. Her parents hid out, and they ended up getting caught by the Gestapo and sent to prison. But she never backed off of her pioneering spirit that there was going to be a better day. What about what about the, the Civil War? Now, you all know I'm a Southern through and through, okay? But what about those people that put their lives on the line to, to smuggle slaves to the North, knowing that they could be killed and shot? Or the slaves themselves who were willing to take the risk for freedom? It's amazing. And I think, what happened to that? What happened? How can we get back to that? Well, here's how John says it. There's a magnifying glass, a kaleidoscope, and a telescope. Now, this is how we see our fears. This is We, we, we perceive it. It's interesting. He says the magnifying glass. Sometimes we're afraid of that risk. We look at it through a magnifying glass. We stare intently at it, blowing up the possible consequences. How many times have you done that? Do you know that over 90% of the stuff that you fear never takes place? Do you also know that whenever you fear something enough, you actually make it a a, a self-fulfilling prophecy? I mean, it's so easy to be a prophet in the 21st century. All I got to do is start believing something, telling other people about it, put it out on the internet, and the next thing you know, all hell's broke loose and it's happened. And that can be positive and can be negative. See, we magnify it. The second thing is we, we make it into kind of like a kaleidoscope. Matter of fact, John says the best definition of creativity I've ever heard from someone is that. The, and, and this is what they call the kaleidoscope, a wild mind with a disciplined eye. See, a highly creative person has the ability to feed his mind with all kinds of different topics and see the connection that other people probably couldn't see. And I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, I've done that. But yet, when you try to connect it all, it's in a kaleidoscope. It's like, this is interesting. See, with this perspective, you look at your risk as if you're peeking through the kaleidoscope tube. Instead of brightly colored jewels or mirrors that scramble the image, you see it come in parts of your life. The risk of your dream is no longer risk that impacts one or two areas. All of a sudden, it's your career, it's your finances, it's connected to everything. Sometimes, it can get all scary, and the next thing you know... If you follow your dream and you and you have all this stuff happen, your, your your kids will go one way and you'll go one way and you'll lose your house and you'll lose your job and you're dead busted broke. 
see how, how we can take things and connect it, and, and we just make up our own freaking story as we go along. Or you use a telescope. I like a telescope. John says, when my daughters were young, they used to be horrible at playing hide-and-seek. They they thought that if you if they couldn't see you, you can't see them, so they'd close their eyes, hide in plain sight. I, I get that now. <laughs> but we often do the same thing with risk. It's still there, and if we ignore it, we can't plan for it, prepare to protect ourselves. But with the telescope method, everything's fine. See, with the telescope, which are designed to view things that are far away, and that's where most of our risks are too, then all of a sudden we're able to look at them from a bird's eye view. See, your risks haven't happened yet. They're in the future. And if you live in the land of what if... When you look at the risk through the telescope, you're able to create a safe distance between your dreams and your fears. Let's go back to my mama and daddy for a minute. If my dad had been able to look through that camera lens at the risks, I have a feeling that he would have been able to take and copyright, I think that's what they call this, all of his his photography. And he would have been able to send it out there to magazines. By now, we would have had it up on a website and would be selling it like some of these other companies do. Can you just picture a, a beautiful picture of a mountain? And, and maybe you go to church and you need that mountain in the background because you're going to sing High on the Mountain or one of those songs that I don't even know the words to. may not even be a song, actually, but usually churches have these songs with weird titles. So let's just say High on the Mountain, you know. And here you are looking at it. You say, man, that's a beautiful picture. I wonder if that's what if that's in America or somewhere. You know, people pay for those pictures. Some of them pay pay every time they use it. Some just pay for one time. Some pay for a year, whatever the case is. Have you seen some great websites you've gone to and they got great images on them? And you know what, my dad would do that. He had people images. He had dog images. He had barns. I mean, well, that's really my mom's big. That, that's a fetish she has. She just likes old buildings, barns falling down. It was hilarious. You know those pictures back in the 60s and you wonder what happened to Well, we still have a bunch of them, so that would have been great because then you need pictures of people in the 60s. You know, you need studs that are running around in tight, you know, swim trunks and in boats. We had all that too. I mean, risk if we look at it through a telescope. What can happen? And my parents aren't the only ones. My father-in-law is that way. You know, one of the, one of the smartest men I ever knew, and, and, and he had a business and he, he went bankrupt and and then he never wanted to try again because he went bankrupt. Well, crying out loud, that happens to every, every great person, it seems like. Everybody's got a bankruptcy story. Risk. Oh, and then, then, then there's others. There, then there, Here's the other thing. Perfectionist. The problem with perfection, it's, it's funny. John tells this story. Listen to this. This is humorous. He says, when things are out of control in my room on Edgewood Drive in Hudson, Massachusetts, my mom would ask me to clean up. I didn't tidy up or make my bed. I didn't put the obvious piles of dirty clothes in the right room or clean my desk. I always tried to go from a messy room to the operating room of cleanliness in one afternoon. I didn't merely pick up the books off the floor. I dusted the shelf slowly. I rearranged the books by size and author name, maybe both. I spent hours and hours on a two-foot square in my room wanting everything to be perfect. About midway through, I would get overwhelmed with the task and give up. My mama called this procrastinating perfectionist. It's not about perfection, folks. If you're going to follow your dream, 
then you've got to be able to go out there and give your best on your day job as if you were working unto the Lord. And then you've got to be able to do the best you can at making your dream come true and moving forward. We need to be a generation of finishers, not a bunch of perfectionists or procrastinating perfectionists. What would you, if you could just finish, if you could make one goal, one thing that you were just going to finish towards your dream job, what would it be? See, this is the thing we got to talk about. This is the thing we got to look at. I mean, this is very powerful. There's no excuses for doing your work half-heartedly, but you don't have to be a perfectionist. Art Williams says, all you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. Dave Ramsey says, be an entre-leader. That means you're an entrepreneur, but you're, you're learning leadership, and you're going out there and building something. I think you can make it work. You want to know what happens when you're a perfectionist? You get burnout. My brother and I talk a little bit. We used to talk a lot, but he's like a, a preaching electrician. He travels all over the nation now. And and here's the interesting thing. We both we both always say the same thing about our mom. She is a perfectionist. And and I love her to death. But I can remember growing up now this is, my mama is great at things. If you wanted a wedding dress sewn, they'd go to my mom because she was a perfectionist. And she would make those wedding dresses and they were awesome. She'd get burnt out. If you wanted to learn how to how to see beauty in a way you've never dreamed, then you've got to understand what quilling is. And my mom could make some of the most beautiful pictures out of quill paper. They came alive in 3D. She got burnt out. If you wanted a handmade custom doll and you wanted it to look like it was that princess that you always dreamed of, she could do this out of a out of a, a, an ivory soap container and toilet paper rolls. And by the time she got done, the dresses were almost as, as magnificent as the real thing that would be on a beautiful bride. She got burnt out. She was a perfectionist. My mama could make wedding cakes like you never dreamed of. I mean, 3D gingerbread-type houses made out of cake and icing. They wouldn't fall, by the way. She was a perfectionist. She got burnt out. See, this is what happens when we're perfectionists. We work so hard at something. We love it. We have a passion for it. And we get burnt out. Now, lately, she's been so busy, her and dad doing things, that she's not gotten burnt out on her painting. She's a beautiful painter, as I told you. But I learned something growing up from my mama. I don't have to be the best at everything. But I better give it my 100%. My wife gets gets frustrated. And after 25 years of marriage, she's finally gotten me to realize that she's not my mama. Because it comes Christmas time, and she says, Honey, will you help us put up the Christmas deck? No, I'm not putting up de- Christmas decorations. You want to know why? My mama was a perfectionist. Every light on the tree, every decoration on the tree was perfect. I mean, it was. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a Christmas tree my mama ever put up that I wasn't proud of. We could have won awards in it, I'm telling you. Everything on the walls, everything had its place. I just got so burnt out because I had to keep bringing up the decorations that I just don't like 
Christmas decorations, but now I'm I'm getting into it. Now I like putting up all our Christmas decorations. Literally, the the day November first rolls around, and and I'm I'm in. I love it. But this is what we go through constantly, and this is what John's talking about. See, how do we get over this? This is the key. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say, well, what if? What if we don't make it? What if we fail? Well, what if you win? Well, Troy, you don't understand. I'm just too daggum busy. I don't have time to follow my dreams. You don't have time not to follow your dreams. See, I wish I could cover this book. I wish we had hours to cover this book. You've got to go buy Quitter by John Acuff, A-C-U-F-F. It's a beautiful book. You can get it on any of my websites, Amazon, Best Buy. I'm not Best Buy. Books a Million, whatever. But here's another excuse that we make. I don't have the money. I've got money problems. Well, crying out loud, who doesn't have a money problem from the United States government on down? Don't make excuses. I learned this from my daddy, too. An excuse is nothing more than a cleverly disguised lie. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to other people. It's time you start being honest. And then you want to know the worst lie we tell each other? Well, I'm 48 years old. By now, I I should have been somebody. By now, I should have been financially independent. By now, by now, by now. Worst two words you ever put in the same thing. Boy, if I was a good networker, by now I'd be worth millions. Well, if I was a good preacher, by now I'd have one of them super churches. Well, if I was a good parent, by now my kids would all be like running for the presidency of the United States, and they'd be winning. Well, by now, if I was a good husband, my wife would just sit at my feet all the time, looking up at me with a big smile. See what we do? I mean, this is dumb, but we actually do that. And it's time that we stop doing that. It's time that we move on. It's time that we be somebody. John said at the beginning of this chapter, he got his dream job. You want to know how he got his dream job? Dave Ramsey called him and said, hey, will you come down and just do some little little training with our staff? And he thought that's what was going to happen, and he hoped while he was down there that he might get to, to talk to one of David's one of Dave's guys or gals, and maybe he could do some freelance work for him. But when he got done talking, Dave Ramsey pulled him aside and made him a ridiculous offer. He said, I just finished speaking to his team of roughly 300 people at a weekly meeting. I'd driven up from Atlanta expecting to have a casual meeting with one of his team leaders about doing some freelance work. My expectations were low. After I was done speaking, Dave asked me to stick around and have a conversation. Man, I considered him a celebrity, and I just tried to play it cool and act like it was just a regular big conversation I had all the time. (laughs) My cover was almost blown when Dave's assistant walked in and said, Hey, Dave, Tony Dungy's on the phone. You've got to call him in five minutes. You know, I mean, man, we're talking about one of the greatest coaches in the NFL. David looked at me, and here's what he said. He said, Dave told me he was looking for a new message bearer, somebody with new messages. He wanted to find people he could pour decades of leadership wisdom into that wasn't a job offer. This was a long-term dream job offer, a chance to do what I'd always wanted to do with my life, an opportunity to write things that I wanted to write and speak at places that I wanted to speak and follow my dream like never before. And Dave was giving me the opportunity. Man, I know that feeling. There were some guys that if they called me on the phone right now and said, Troy, we want you to come 
come do what you do, but we want you to do it with us. Paige knows. I mean, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but Paige knows exactly what would happen, and she's already given me permission. She knows I would be following a dream that would, would enhance our life together. The question is, are you ready to follow your dream? See, there's less risk and more reward if you'll just follow it. John writes this as we close out today. There are thousands of possible risks, and I only covered a handful. Even if you get great at looking at them, and even if you develop the best telescope on the planet, that won't eliminate risk completely. The only people who don't face risk are dead people, and they don't buy books or at least aren't in our target audience, so I'm going to ignore the needs of the dead. It's the undead that I'm talking to. Well, by golly, why don't you stop being the walking dead and start being the undead? You know, everybody gets to live a life, but very few people actually really go out there and live it. You have the opportunity. I challenge you to be on this, this, this radio show Monday morning and to finish this book with this as we go through the series. Monday, falling in like with a job you don't love. This will be a catalytic moment because I'm going to show you how to enjoy the job that you're doing while you're building that dream job that you want and fulfilling your passion. Folks, live life like it's an epic adventure. We'll see you Monday morning right here on realmentorsradio.com.